Good morning, church. Anybody loves Jesus in the house here? Wow. I must be in the right place then. I want to welcome our live stream audience. Uh, as always, you guys are amazing, awesome. Some of you are here today, which is a great blessing. Our Fellowship Center Assembly. And, of course, our retreat ladies and their families. Welcome to WFR. We are uh, super excited about this Sunday uh, to have you here, to have this celebration. Uh, those bells that are ringing of freedom is a beautiful sound. You know, every family is touched, our forever family is touched, and my family in particular, because my youngest participated in the retreat, Alex, this weekend. So that's special to us and our family. Amen. And you know, it's amazing how your kids... We'll bring it all home for you and give you the reality of the situation. Vinny came by and picked up the kids because his crazy work schedule, so they hung out with Pap all weekend, which is basically a free-for-all with me in charge. And so they go and pick up Alex, and they come back, and I'm excited because I want to hear about the retreat and how things go. And so Doc, who's the middle son, he comes in just ahead of his mom, and I'm like, well, what happened? And Doc immediately proclaims mom never went to the bathroom the whole time she was at the retreat. Thank you, Doc. That wasn't on my list of questions to ask your mom. Kids hear everything, do they not? Alice did give me permission to tell that today, so... So it's, a, it's not coincidence that we are where we are in our study that we've been doing the book of Luke. Because last week we talked about Luke 7, which is this amazing story of this woman who is so beat down and so burdened that she comes in and she just collapses at the feet of Jesus And out of her motives and her heart and her purity, and in that moment of repentance and recognizing who Jesus is, all of the hospitality customs that should have been offered to Jesus by the host, a Pharisee, who did not have pure motives for inviting Jesus into his home, she poured out. I mean... First, it was her tears that washed his feet because someone should have washed his feet. Then, of course, it was this beautiful gift of perfume that was poured on his feet that should have been all poured on his head. All the customs laid out for him. A holy kiss of greeting? No. And yet she kissed his feet over and over again. And then that picture, you said, what was Luke's point? Luke's point was, it's your heart. It's not your status. It's not your gender, your race, your color. It's not the public perception of how great you are when none of us are great. It's simply a heart that recognizes who Jesus is. And I believe that's why Luke tells that story. He also said... In chapter 8, which is what we're going to be today, 
these words. After this, Jesus traveled about one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, and also came some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. None of the other gospel writers spend as much time talking about the women that were there in the life of Jesus. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. How would you like to have that? Because everybody gets a thumbnail of what happened to you, right? Oh, there's seven demon girl, Mary Magdalene. What a story. Joanna, the wife of Chusa, the manager of Herod's household. I wonder how that went for her. This was Herod, the Tetrarch, who was ruling in this area of Israel. And his household manager's wife was following Jesus around and supporting the ministry. I'm sure that created some chaos in her home. Susanna and many others, these women were helping to support them out of their own means. Many of these same women would be the ones who would be there and witness Jesus' death on the cross and would also be the ones that witnessed the resurrection, the first witnesses. And they couldn't even testify in court. And yet Jesus chose to reveal himself to them. First out of the grave. Luke had a special place in his heart for the women of the first century. Was it because he was a Gentile? Probably. But he showed us something important. And here we are today celebrating our retreat. And so I want to have a couple of our women come up. Uh, Jerry Ann and Mindy, if you'll come up and join me on stage. Uh, Now, it's it's Jerry Ann Blankenship and Mindy Lancaster, but they'll always be known as the Macklemore girls to me. Um, They've shared a lot of their story in different formats to our church family, forever family, in other settings. But I just want to give you a thumbnail of how I met these two. Um, I was right out of preaching school, a mighty intern here at WFR full of vim and vigor and ready to take the world. These girls, their grandparents, were active members here at our church. They weren't really coming here or, I guess, going anywhere at the time. And then all of a sudden, evil strikes. Their mother is murdered. Their father is later arrested, later convicted. Sent away to prison for the rest of his life. And so over the course of the first year that I met these two, they had lost both parents. And then were in the household of their grandparents as teenagers. And this church. As you could imagine, and Jerry had mentioned it a little already, they spent some time on the struggle bus. Right? <laughs> Uh, That's a nice way of putting it. Yeah, thank you. There's so many details, right? We don't have enough time this morning, right? We got hit by the struggle bus. We, we just didn't spend time on it. it we got it hit rolled by it. over us. I think it rolled over us a time or two. So. Wasn't the gospel chair. It's the struggle bus, right? <laughs> so they were here. They were not here. They were mostly away. And then God brought them home. And this morning, as these two ladies sit here, I can't help but be amazed 
at what God can do. Because two people who could have easily spent their lives as victims of circumstances beyond their control instead are victors in Christ. Amen. Amen. Right? Amen. So, how did that happen? Jerry Ann, how did that happen? Surrender. Yeah, surrender. <laughs> Taking ownership yeah, of the bad choices I made and not trying to project, um, you know, excuses and blame to other people. Um, like I said earlier, there were some circumstances that I had no control over. Um, but in the end, and the one that actually gets the, the complete blame is the enemy. Yeah. Not the other people. And so... Uh, but I had to take ownership of the bad choices I made and then be transparent about that. Um, and so just opening up and speaking out, there was a lot of freedom in that. We witnessed that this weekend that mm-hmm. some people have never spoke word. But as soon as it came out of their mouth, the enemy had no control over it anymore. No. And no. then the, the, uh, you could just see the tension like this. And there was no more. Yeah. And just in reminding them that in Ephesians 6, where this is not a battle of flesh and blood. And that the things that may have been done to you by somebody else in your life, that we have to quit projecting things that have been done. Well, you don't know what happened to me, or you don't know what happened to me. That we have got to, you know, quit living in that victim mentality and remember that we were rescued. That we were rescued. And that... We are moving from darkness into light and to be a witness for the one who saved our lives. It's beautiful. So tell me this, because a lot of us here uh, watching or maybe just here as part of our church have not experienced the retreat. Um, I know there's things you try to keep there for people mm-hmm. to come. But tell us a little bit just about what it's like and just how you see those people coming to that same place that you guys have found and realized. We've been a part of seven, eight and just retreats, a, maybe. In about 15 or 16 months, yeah. we've done about and, six, um, seven or I want y'all to like, hear me when I say this. The retreat is not where you, the saving comes from. That's right. It is through the Lord Jesus Christ. That's right. Amen. But it brings you out. You almost spend time in the wilderness like Jesus did because mm-hmm. you have no phone. You have no family. You know, you don't have all the chaos of the world, especially as women. Um, we're called to do a whole lot of things in a whole little bit of time, all the time. Uh, now, we did get to boss them around, and it was it was really fun because they're like, what are we doing now? And I'm like, you can't tell you. Um, you know, and so, but they were very honoring of that, and they're just like, okay, let's go. Um, it's done out of love. Yes. Yes, it is done out of love. But... The relationships, and that's what we've poured into these ladies over and over this weekend. It's about your community, and it was our community here at White's Ferry Road that saved us and showed us what real love, I mean, because my rap sheet, most people would have been like, hmm. Jehovah Nisi, Jehovah Nisi was not the banner of your life. (laughs) No, no, he wasn't. Um, but they would have been like, well, she's, she's just going to work this out on her own. But they, the women and men just kept pouring into me, lifting me up, you know, and that's what we've told these women. And so the relationships that I've built through retreat ministry, mm-hmm. um, I would not give up 
for anything and to know that we will spend eternity in heaven worshiping like we worship this weekend. It's amazing. That's right. So, Mindy, tell us a little bit about I know you're a spiritual director. Uh, You and I talked some before. Tell just a thumbnail about the kind of what you were trying to get out this weekend with the names of God and kind of how that went. So um, I've had the humble honor of um, serving as the spiritual director uh, over this retreat. Um, and I will, She didn't give me a choice. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I was like, you're directing? Let's do this. Um, and so I will say this um, about uh, Jerry serving as director. Um, it was an honor to serve with my sister um, as the director. Uh, she did a phenomenal job uh, as the director. Um, I will, I will stand shoulder to shoulder with her and uh, serve with her any day. Um, uh, for a long time, I tell everybody, you know, that I tried to beat the Bible into her, and that did not go well, uh, just so y'all know that. Uh, and I had to move out of the way uh, and allow her room to grow in Christ. And now uh, there will never be any leading. I will continually walk beside her any day. Um, and... So serving as spiritual director, uh, when, they, when Jerry talks about the name uh, redeemed, I said, we grasp that. And Jerry explained that earlier. But how do you understand redeemed if you don't know who your redeemer is? And so through the process, and Jerry and I worked together as well. And so unpacking that, I said, so let's kind of dig into, like, who, who is our Redeemer? So let's talk about these names of God. So we talked to Lindy. We talked through this. And that's what having a team is. And so, Jerry, uh, we talked about the who of the co-directors and all that. And yeah, I'll and let I you do, say I, that before I finish. Yeah, so go ahead. I did, um, since... David stuck his foot in his mouth. We uh, we had to kind of wrap it up. But I did want to thank my co-directors that walked alongside of me. So Erica Osborne, Stephanie Gidgery, and Lindy Loveland. Um, some of them didn't feel like they knew where we were going with this because I didn't have the time either. Um, but one thing, we spent time as a uh, director team um, just... Holy Spirit, take over. Yeah. It, this is your retreat and not mine. And it's not ours. Yeah. And so we just facilitated where he led us. Yeah. And um, it was yeah. beautiful. And so just, and my husband can attest to the amount of time that uh, I spent <laughs> in uh, my foxhole, as uh, we call this, just unpacking and just prepping in the word of what that looked like from start to finish and what we wanted these women to get. And that was, um, and who... Uh, Jehovah Jehovah is, and that is uh, Jehovah our Redeemer. And then by the time we were through, it, if you can see these names up here on this wall, uh, and so we talked about that this morning, and that is Jehovah Mekadishkim, which is our sanctifier. And so through this process of we know him as our Redeemer and that he's the one who justifies our, us, he's our justification. But, y'all, there's a process to that and that our Mechadishkim is our sanctifier, that this is a process of sanctification to be walked out. And that when the enemy tries to tell us that that's not who you are, you tell him that's a lie. And that 
through this process and the Holy Spirit working within you that you've got to uproot these lies and you get in the word of God and that that word is going to sanctify you in that process and that it's looking different day to day and that a year from now you are not going to be the same person because he has cleansed you and made you whole and you get out those lies. Awesome. So they seem fired up. Were we fired up? Are you fired fired up? So let me tell you, before I let you go, two things. One is these ladies are our envoys that go into prison and unlock the chains of Satan in the hearts of a lot of people. God has built them to that uh, because of their life experiences and all those things that could have been made them victims instead they're victors and now they've shown other people that freedom uh, and before they leave normally this is the time when I have a scripture reader but since there will always be the Macklemore girls to me I would like for them to read our scripture today Mindy you go first Isaiah 52 6 therefore my people will know my name therefore In that day, they will know that it is I who foretold it. Yes, it is I. Acts 4.12, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no one, no other name under heaven given to men or women by which we must be saved. Give it up for the Macklemore girls. And I do want to say thank you to my family. Because it was a lot of time away. Amen. But it was well, well served. A couple of live wires for Jesus right there. I love it. So amazing, the God we serve. Just listening to them honor God, but also each other. Man takes you back when you've been here a few years and you walk alongside people to see what our amazing God can do. So my lesson title today uh, is called Bearing the Name of Jesus Christ. Because, you know, when I was talking to Jerry and Mindy and about the retreat and the theme, I love the idea of recognizing the name and that we bear that name, right? We bear that name. Now, I looked it up in the dictionary. What does the word bearing mean? You know, because we talk about bearing burdens, bearing gifts, right? The manner in which one conducts or carries oneself, including their posture or their gestures. We would say maybe a person is of dignified bearing, right? It also means the act, capability, or period of producing or bringing forth. The bearer of bad news or good news, to bear fruit, a load-bearing wall. So when we bear the name of Jesus, we're talking about who we are, but we're also talking about where you are, and we're also talking about what you do when you bear the name of Jesus. Jeremiah would put it this way, when your words came, he said, I ate them. They were my joy and my heart's delight. For I bear your name, Lord God Almighty. And Peter in Acts chapter 15, in his very eloquent 
beautiful defense of these new Gentile Christians that the Jewish Christians were not so sure about. They're uncircumcised. They don't know the law. They don't know what we know. And Peter, who had just witnessed this amazing Holy Spirit moment with Cornelius and his family, he quoted Amos and he said this, After this I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins I will rebuild, and I will restore it. And the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who bear my name. To bear the name of Jesus. That's what we do. And it unites us. Satan is an enemy of division. He loves to divide in every single way. But Jesus is a unifier. When we bear his name, we bear all those things together. So this morning, in Luke chapter 8, and starting in verse 4, there are three things that I want to share that Jesus shared. And the parable of the sower is what we call it here in Luke 8. And man, I have preached this text. I have taught this text. I have heard many sermons about this text. And there's so many different ways you can go. But today, because of our theme and what we're talking about, I want to zero in on one thing that he points out clearly in this text. And that is, we must have a fruit-bearing heart. A heart that bears fruit for Christ. Let's look at the text. Luke chapter 8 and verse 4. While a large crowd was gathering, people were coming to Jesus from town after town. He tells them a parable. A farmer went out to sow his seed. And as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. It was trampled on, and the birds ate it up. Some fell on rocky ground, and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up, and as it grew up with it, it choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than was sown. When he had said this, he called out, whoever has ears, let them hear. His disciples asked him what the parable meant. I guess they didn't have ears. They didn't quite get it. So he said this to them. The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to others I speak in parables. So that though seeing they may see, though hearing they may not understand. A quote from Isaiah 6 in verse 9. Jesus has always demanded that we seek him. That we're willing to submit to him. This is not just easy sit back in your, you know, comfortable chair and say, you know, I'll take a little side of Jesus with the rest of my life. It's not what he requires. We must be seekers of him. Here's the meaning of the parable he tells the disciples. The seed is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear that word. And you're going to hear this come up again and again. You must hear. You must be willing to listen. Then the devil comes along. He takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. The first group he looks at, he says, it gets snatched away quickly. Those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. 
They believe for a while, but in the time, when the time of testing comes, they fall away. So there it's a little bit. I got a little bit of it, but first time I get tested, no, I'm out. The seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and because of that, they do not mature. But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering produce a crop. Now, this talks about the status of hearts, but there's something else that this text does, and it describes for us a lot of the ways the evil one is in attack mode, right? Three different ways that I see here. One is what I call the snatch and grab, right? I mean, that's like there just seems to be impossible opportunity to ever even want to know anything about Jesus or God. It's been snatched and grabbed. Maybe it was a bad past. Maybe it was a generational curse. Maybe it was something that happened to you beyond your control. Maybe it's just that you didn't have a heart, that you looked at everything and thought, I just think it's all random. Whatever it was, it was a snatch and grab. And we all know people who are there. It doesn't mean they're not religious, because I know several. They're very bitter, angry, and a little bit crazy, just to be honest. And they latch on to worldly causes as their God and as their religion. You think, man, it, it almost seems impossible. That's what Satan wants them to believe. The second group is what I call the shallow grifters. Now, for them, they get a little bit. It makes sense for a minute. Maybe you grew up in church and you remember back and there were some good memories about it. But, man, when that time of testing comes, Jesus described. Because, see, bad things happen. And if you don't have anything in the tank, when the bad thing comes, you'll fold. You'll falter. You won't have depth. And Satan is a grifter. He loves to make it seem like there's no hope. But there always is hope. The third one is what I call the long con. And there's a lot of people that he works this on. Man, they hide in plain sight. They're right there for you to see. They're looking like everything is great. But inside, Jesus said, it's like dead men's bones. It's like a tomb. Complacency. Secrecy. Self-dependency. And one thing always comes out in the end. No maturity. See, we assume that when people grow old, they automatically mature. But that's not true. Not spiritually speaking. Man, some of the most bitter people I've known were older people who forgot their first love, Jesus Christ. No guarantee in the long con, except that one day Satan will expose you. And it creates chaos. In John 10.10, John said, the thief, Satan, comes to steal, kill, and destroy. So you can't control the tactics of the evil one. But the one thing in our parable here, in our context, that you can control is what kind of heart you decide you're going to have. That is on you. 
Satan's going to do what Satan does. That's who he is. He doesn't get to control your heart. You get to make that call. You notice what he says in that fourth heart, the noble heart looks like? It's one who listens. That means you're open to hear. I'm listening. It means one who retains. So you don't just hear it, but you then take what you hear and you put it into who you are. You retain it. The Hebrew writer said in Hebrews 5, by constant use, you then know how to distinguish good versus evil. You can't do that if you don't retain. You persevere, which means you're going to go through difficult times. You will be on the struggle bus. It's coming. For some, as described this morning, it feels like it's rolling all over you. But you persevere. You produce fruit, meaning, as we know, the Holy Spirit provides fruit from him that flows out of your life, as well as the impact of other people. That's the blessing of having a heart that is a fruit-bearing heart. Now, I love it, that last thought, one that impacts others, and that takes us to the next verse in verse 16, because not only do you have a fruit-bearing heart, but you have a light-bearing witness. Listen to what he says. Verse 16, no one lights a lamp and hides it in a clay jar or puts it under a bed. Instead, they put it on a stand so that those who come in can see the light. For there is nothing hidden that will not be disclosed, nothing concealed that will not be known or brought out into the open. It's going to happen anyway, so we want it to be a light that impacts and blesses. And then he says this, consider then carefully how you listen. Here we go again. Listen, whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they think they have will be taken from them. We are reborn in Christ to shine, right? That's what we're made for, to shine. Paul would put it this way in Philippians 2, do everything without grumbling or arguing. I bet there was nobody that came to the retreat grumbling or arguing in their own heart this weekend. Okay, we, I've heard the bell. I know. Some of you, you don't want to go. I get it. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure. You can think about that for just a moment. Blameless and pure. I started out this morning talking about a woman who was known in her town to be a sinful woman. And yet as she laid at the feet of Jesus, pouring her heart out, you know how Jesus saw her? Blameless and pure. That's what he does. And this pontificator sitting over and looking at her and full of all of his self-righteousness was not blameless and was not pure because it depended on him. But she had the light of Christ, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky if you hold firmly to the word that now has been planted in you that you retain. You see how this works? The more that goes in, the more you shine. And the more you shine, the more people want to know what you know. And it's not because of you. It's because of Christ. You see, we're generational witnesses of not only the light in our lives that saved us, but the light that was created by God Almighty. 
In Genesis 1 and verse 2, the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be what? Light. The creator of all things light. We know from John chapter 1 that Jesus was there in the beginning. He was with God, and he was God. And in him was what? Light. And that light was the life for all men. He is our life. He is our light. And therefore, Paul would say in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 8, You were once darkness, but now you are the light in the Lord. The Father wanted us to see his light, so he has sent his Son. The Son wanted us to see his light, so he had his disciples, those men and women that were around him to witness who he was and what he did. And they shared that. And for generations, it's gone on. And here we sit 2,000 years later today, and guess what we are? Light. Generationally to shine. A fruit-bearing heart, a light-bearing witness. And finally, and we've seen it this morning, a burden-bearing forever family. Here's what he said in verse 19. Jesus' mother and brothers came to see him, but they were not able to get near him because of the crowd. I've been there. Someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside waiting to see you. He said, my mother and brothers are those who hear God's word and puts it into practice. Now, this text has been controversial to some because it seems like he's being rude to his own family. But he's not. He's not demeaning his earthly family. He's expanding them into a forever family. Now, Jesus had some issues with his family. They didn't believe in him. I mean, his mom did, but the brothers didn't. We know that from different places in the text. They weren't believers. They weren't sure what he was about, but they didn't know. But here is Jesus, the one who created all things, that knew that after he was gone, they were going to be sitting in an upper room waiting to see how they were going to impact the world as a forever family. He knew. He knew they'd come around. And so he puts them in that context. You see, we can't do this alone. That's another great lie of the evil one. You're better off without that. You don't need church you don't need sisterhood you don't need brotherhood you don't need people in your life they'll never understand what you and i have going on he loves to isolate and then keep you there with him jesus comes along and says no i'm the breaker of generational curses i'm the one who gives you generations They give glory to my name and bring you joy and peace and goodness. You see, many of us know it didn't always, it wasn't always so great in our families. In our families, many times we learn the generational curses of past reactions and past behaviors. And then we carried those on. But someone has to break the curse. And you do that through the light of Jesus Christ. Right? It's symbolized here today and this weekend with these ladies with a bell. 
But it could be symbolized with anything that says, I surrender to Christ. I watched my wife break a generational curse 24 years ago. It was a long con. It had gone on for generation to generation to generation. Sinfulness, brokenness, deception, lies, dishonesty. And she was right here hiding in plain sight, listening to the word of God, relationships with other Christians. But in her heart, the evil one still had his grip and his curse. And she ultimately followed him and almost destroyed her and us and even to some extent us. But she surrendered. She laid out in a field of grass, just like that woman at that table in Luke 7. And she cried out to God, I don't know if you're there, but if you are, come rescue me. I'm ready to break the curse. And he did. And we've been talking about it ever since. That's what Jesus does for the hearts and lives of his people. You can break those curses by calling on the name of Jesus, by committing to bear his name, by accepting his Holy Spirit, who then becomes your name and will bear fruit through your life. It won't be you. I love the humility I heard this morning from leadership, those who are leading other people. It's not us. It's what Christ does in us, right? When Jesus was about to leave in John 14, he told his disciples, I'll never leave you alone. You'll always have me here through my spirit, and you'll always have your forever family. I saw a movie recently. It's called The Blind. I recommend it. Starting September 28th at a theater near you. And I have to admit to you, it's a little surreal watching a movie about your life and your family and actors acting their parts that you know and you lived. But you know what touched me the most? And I cried a lot. Shocker. You know what touched me the most? Probably where I almost wept and just had to kind of like control myself was the moments in the film that depicted the people in this church, my forever family, that opened their hearts and their doors and an apartment up the road on North Seven to this family. That's what touched me. I remembered all those people who've walked alongside us, who've been there for us. We bear one another's burdens because we are Christ forever family. We bear the name of Jesus and we bear his witness to all who will listen. This is a moment in our WFR family, for those of you that are visiting us today, that we call it our forever family time. We do it every Sunday. We offer a time of repentance because sometimes you just got to just be real. Just like Doc, my grandson, 
It's tell like it is. It's not pretty. Sometimes it's the time of renewal, a public proclamation. Somebody usually makes that public profession of baptism here most weeks, and they come from all over the fruited plains and Canada to say we're all in. And so that's a moment for you today. Sometimes it's a report, prayer request, a challenge that's being met, that moment of testing that we talked about. It happens for us, and we hear about it every week. And you know what we're always saying to one another? You're not in it alone. We have a forever family. And sometimes it's just a moment of reflection, a time where we just ask the Almighty to give us renewal as we go forward. You ladies have had a tremendous weekend capped this morning by our time together of giving God the praise and glory because he deserves it all. And now it's a reflection of going, retaining, persevering, living, impacting, and bearing fruit. We bear the name of Jesus. Father, I just want to take a moment and thank you for who you are. Because without you, none of this would be possible. I thank you, your Son, our Lord, our Savior, for the sacrifice, for the continued cleansing and blessing of our lives. I thank you for the Holy Spirit that lives in us so that we are not alone. And we look forward to the day on the return of our Lord in that great resurrection where for eternity... We will have a lot to reflect on. I pray for any hearts that are here today that haven't surrendered to you, that haven't called you by your name to bear your name. I pray today will be that day. I pray, Father, for commitment. I pray, Father, you'll keep us from complacency. And if Satan has played the long game and the long con with any of us, I pray, Father, you will break those bonds today. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Mighty name.